Katie, where are you in the world right now? I am currently in my parents' basement. That's where they keep me when I come to visit. Nice. Um, yes, I just drove across the country. I did my annual 3,000-mile drive. As longtime listeners will know, uh, my the, the issue that I'm most passionate about in the world is the blatant discrimination that airlines have for dogs. And so to protest this, I drive across the country at least once, if not twice a year. So I just did the trip. Uh, all the way from Washington State to North Carolina. And Jesse, I would like to give you some recommendations based on this long, very long trip across the country. How long did it take total? Uh, five days. We did this one quickly. We got to drive through the middle of the country huh. instead of driving all the way th- uh, down the California coast and across Texas because we did it not in the wintertime. So much improved. I've heard about this so-called middle America, and I'm curious what it's like. So yeah, what, what do you recommend over there? Okay, I have four recommendations for you, Jesse. Maybe five. First of all, guns, Jesus, the state of Montana, highly recommend, especially in the fall, the Grand Stay Hotel in Rapid City, South Dakota, you get a big suite, like a full separate kitchen, like a living room and a a bedroom and a bathroom all for $62 a night. What? The shower only had, yeah, I know, crazy. The shower only had one temperature and that temperature was boiling hot, but still- $62 $62 a night. Can't beat it. Great deal. I'll say they welcome dogs. I also recommend the toasted ravioli in St. Louis, Missouri. I think it is actually fried. I think they say toasted to make you think that it's healthier. I think it's like straight up deep fried. Get it when you're in St. Louis. Go to their little uh, little Italy. St. Louis's little Italy. Didn't know it existed. It did. Very cute. Little, little Italy. Tiny Italy. Micro Italy. And number one, my number one recommendation is the podcast Who Shat on the Floor at My Wedding, which is a 14-part true crime series in which an amateur detective tries to solve the mystery of who shat on the floor at her friend's lesbian wedding. And this one in particular resonated with me because someone also shat on the floor at my lesbian wedding, although in my case, we we cracked the case early because, yes, we saw Moose do it, and also the floor was grass. (laughs) Anyway, it's really good. 14 episodes to try to crack this case. It's really funny. And if you like true crime, you will like this. So basically, if you're a woman, you'll like it. Yeah. Okay. I I mean, as a male, I like true crime, but that doesn't sound serious enough. I need at least one person to have been butchered beyond recognition. And it sounds like that didn't happen here. Are men allowed to do true crime? I thought that was only a lady thing. I was talking about this with someone. I... I don't view true crime at, well... It is very feminine. That's odd. Murder is very feminine. No, emotional murder is feminine. (laughs) Serial broke through um, as like the first blockbuster true crime podcast. Did that have an overwhelmingly female audience? I thought it was pretty even. I don't know. It was so big, I don't know. But true crime in terms of like uh, like the murderinos, we might have talked about the murderinos on the show. Yeah. True crime is very, this is like not, I'm not making this up. There, there are whole like true crime communities online. Of course, they're very dramatic because they're online and they also tend to be very yeah. female focused. There was Someone wrote a book, a, a woman wrote a book a couple of years ago, I think called like Dead White Female that was about the sort of uh, female interest, why women in particular are interested in true crime. There's been a lot of speculation about this. A lot of it comes down to what people say is that it comes down to like women aren't interested in true crime as a way of like preemptively protecting themselves. I don't buy that. I think women are just like gossipy and like drama. And what's more gossipy and dramatic than murder? It's also like 
maybe aspirational in a sense <laughs> because women for various reasons I don't think are as they want to get murdered capable of violent crime as men right. and like you don't have enough testosterone you can't you're not strong enough to strangle most people most men um so this is like what what I would do to people if I could Th- this is what you would do to people if you could you would murder them or you are you placing your- no no this is what women would do to people if they could yes but instead we just emotionally yeah, murder them that's my right. theory okay Anyway, how are you, Jesse? I'm good. I mean, I'm sick and I'm I just got a negative COVID test, but I think it's actually rational that I'm disappointed it wasn't COVID because if you're going to be sick anyway, you might as well get that little uh, immunity boost, right? I mean, the downside would be that you could possibly get long COVID. I think I might prefer to get the flu. I think I, like in the sense of just being mentally ill, I basically already have long COVID, so I don't think it really matters at this point. Long COVID, long broken brain doesn't matter okay and how's your new house that's the last update people want to know oh my new house is empty yes um i don't think i've said this on the show but you broke the news uh, i bought a house i am i'm trying to be bi-coastal but because i'm a lesbian instead of la and new york it's seattle and Asheville. but because i'm not rich it's outside of seattle and outside of Asheville. um anyway the new house is is it's an empty house that needs a lot of work so I'm going to learn how to swing a hammer this winter. That's the plan. You know what they say? All women are either bisexual or bicoastal. I think they do say Deep that. Cut for you I think there. someone got someone got fired for that. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right, Katie. What is the name of this increasingly bisexual and bicoastal podcast? <laughs> this is blocked and reported, and I'm Katie Herzog, and I'm Jesse Single, and today. You've got a story about uh, Mormons. I do. A lot of drama in Mormon lands. Shit, it's getting weird. A lot of drama in Morbinland. Uh, but before that, also a lot of drama in a part of the world that I think has very few Mormons, the Middle East. Well, they are both deserts. The deserts are really on fire this week. The deserts are on fire. Um, so yeah, before we get, get to a, a, a thankful reprieve from world news, let's talk a little bit more about the intersection of the Israel-Gaza war and internet bullshit. Uh, this was a really, really bad week for... A certain class of people you Jews. and I... Have, <laughs> I was going <laughs> to phrase that as a certain class of people you and I have been complaining about forever, the Jews. Uh, no, uh, let's remind everyone what our basic complaint is about sort of debunkers on Twitter. The, the debunkers, they tend to, uh, how do you say, spread a lot of misinformation. The misinformation reporters themselves, some yeah. of whom are award-winning misinformation reporters are we'll get to. full of shit. Yes, there's been this huge turn in the Trump years toward uh, you know fighting right-wing lies, making sure headlines are accurate, making sure things are phrased with sufficient clarity. And yet many of the people who... who um, you know, these are their stated ideals. That doesn't, they don't really seem to take them that seriously. As long as the misinformation points in the right direction, they don't seem all that perturbed about it. Would you say that's a fair diagnosis? Right. You fight right wing misinformation by spreading left wing misinformation. That seems to be yeah. the attitude. So this was a really awful week for that. I mean, just, just the same thing I said last week. Obviously, we're, we're focusing on internet bullshit. We're not focusing on like the full human toll that there's horrible stuff going on over there. You can get all the information you need about that from elsewhere. But, one of the horrible things that happened that that had internet ramifications was on Tuesday, October 17th, there was a blast at the Ali Arab Hospital in Gaza City, a hospital run by the Anglican Church. Uh, word quickly spread that the blast was caused by an Israeli airstrike and that a huge number of people for a single attack had been killed. Early on, the narrative coming out of the local health ministry, which is run by Hamas, uh, was that the figure was something like 500 people, 500 people killed in a single 
bombing, which would be an insanely horrific number. And it was like immediate. Immediate. Like, I, like it was still smoldering and they were like 500 dead. Yeah. Yes. So pretty quickly. Very quick census there. Yes. Uh, very quickly, Israel counterclaimed, or pretty quickly, Israel counterclaimed that it, uh, they thought it might have been a rocket fired from the Palestinian side that sputtered out or failed and hit the hospital. Um and before we get further into this, it's, it's important to acknowledge the obvious point that there are reasons, of course, not to inherently trust the Israeli government or any other government during wartime. Yeah. People should look into the story of Shireen Abu Akleh. Um, she was a uh, veteran Palestinian-American journalist who appears to have been killed by a bullet from an Israeli soldier. Here's some of the Times contemporaneous coverage. Israeli officials said a soldier might have shot her by mistake, but also suggested that she might have been killed by a Palestinian gunman. The Israeli army's preliminary investigated concluded that it was, quote, not possible to unequivocally determine the source of the gunfire, end quote. The New York Times, to their credit, looked deeply into this and found that he, the bullet came from the location of his Israeli troops and there were no armed Palestinians near her. So, you know, Israel killed a journalist, uh, it looks like, and none of what follows means you should automatically trust the Israeli side here or in any other case. But in this case, by today, Friday, there does appear to be a fair amount of evidence supporting Israel's claim for what it's worth. The U.S. has said in this cautious, hedged, we might soon know more way that while its assessment could change, that its own intelligence supports the U.S. side, again from the Times, quote, American officials speaking on the condition of anonymity to discuss sensitive information said that multiple strands of early intelligence, including infrared satellite data, show a launch of a rocket or missile from Palestinian fighter positions within Gaza, end quote. On top of that, uh, Mark Garlasco, who is apparently an expert in these matters and who was, according to his Twitter profile, a U.N. war crimes investigator specialized in civilian harm mitigation. So this is his area. He pointed to a photo that appears to be of the blast site and appears to be confirmed um, by some people. They've geolocated where this photo is from. And you can see an impact crater, which is only about one meter wide or so. And and he basically said, and again, this is a guy who is highly qualified on these issues, that this could not have been caused by Israeli weaponry because that weaponry tends to leave nine meter wide craters. And there's a big difference between one meter and nine meters. So, Katie, would you describe this photo? This comes from uh, an account, OSINT Technical. It's one of these like sort of Intel analyst accounts with a lot of followers. This is what uh, Mark Garlasco retweeted, quote retweeted. The original tweet reads, possible impact crater at the Ali Hospital in Gaza, roughly one by one meter, maybe 30 centimeters deep. And just um, describe it for us, please. Uh, so it looks like a pothole. There's a bunch of people standing around and there's a small there's a small hole in the ground. Um, there's damage to some cars nearby. It looks like around a parking lot. Uh, you can see you can clearly see there's some damage to the buildings as well, but this is not a wide crater. This it looks like a Seattle city street. <laughs> yeah, so the cars are pretty badly messed up. Um, but this wasn't assuming this was it. It was not something that left some giant crater. It was not something that leveled a building as some people said. So as far as I know, we should consider this to be unconfirmed, but I'm not aware of anyone putting forth any evidence that this is not, in fact, the site they say it is. None of this proves it was a Palestinian rocket. I would not say any of this is proven, but I do think at this point the evidence points more strongly in that direction than in the direction of an Israeli strike. And one thing to note here is that Israel has specifically said they didn't say this came from Hamas. They said this came from Islamic Jihad, which is another. Right. Palestinian Islamic Jihad is like the fifth column to the bar <laughs> that is Hamas. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Yeah, they're they're more effective and showier. Um, so anyway, that's where we are now. And it's interesting in light of all this to read all the tweets 
that people were spewing out as soon as the initial news of the explosion broke, before we had any of these details. Here's a very representative tweet from friend of the podcast, Emma Vigiland. Um, this was actually very kind of her. She, you know, she has a very busy schedule as an expert in youth gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. And Jesse Single. And Jesse Single. It turns out she also is an expert in quickly establishing the size, level of damage, and number of casualties caused by an explosion <laughs> immediately after it's reported to have occurred. This is because she has a PhD in online explosion studies from the University of BreadTube. <laughs> Katie, uh, read her tweet. Uh, start with the tweet she's, quote, retweeting. Okay, she's, she's, quote, retweeting a guy named Evan Hill. He says, the Gaza Health Ministry says an Israeli airstrike has killed at least 500 people at the Al-Ali Hospital in Gaza City. And this then this links to an AP article. And Emma says, Israel just bombed a hospital and murdered 500 people on purpose. A reminder that Israel's weaponry is incredibly modern and sophisticated. Their airstrikes are as precise as where warfare will allow. Don't let anyone tell you this savagery wasn't purposeful. Yeah, what's amazing about this is she's like even going beyond uh, just believing the Hamas stuff. She's mm-hmm. she's just confidently stating it's on purpose. We know their weapons yeah. are so good that this must have been on purpose. They intentionally killed 500 people. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, Tlaib uh, unsurprisingly, Israel just bombed the Baptist hospital, killing 500 Palestinians, doctors, children, patients, just like that. She knows who was killed at POTUS. This is what happens when you refuse to facilitate a ceasefire and help de-escalate. So she immediately knows it happened. She immediately knows it supports her argument. Your war and destruction only approach has opened my eyes and many Palestinian Americans and Muslims Americans like me. We will remember where you stood. Is this an endorsement for Donald Trump? (laughs) That was actually the next tweet. Yeah, I keep seeing this, that people are... Palestinian, not just pa- like Palestinian sympathizers, of which I am, I consider my, you know, I'm sympathetic with this, with this cause. It's, the whole thing is fucking horrible. They keep, people keep saying they're not going to vote for Joe Biden over this. Do they think that Donald Trump, the man who instituted the Muslim ban, is going to be better for the Palestinian cause? I don't think she's saying she's going to not vote for He's going to put Jared Kushner <laughs> in charge of negotiating peace. Yeah, she might not vote, period, but those are the two choices that yeah. we have. I mean, I think you're going slightly too far in this because you can, even if you're going to vote for someone, you can be like, I don't like his policy on this. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So like none of this is to say Israel doesn't kill civilians during when it bombs Gaza. Israel acknowledges it kills civilians when it kills Gaza. But you quickly take. Right. I said Baza, Gaza. Again, I'm sick. Anything I say that's not right or you disagree with, it's because of the illness. Blame the illness. <laughs> it's COVID. It's COVID. I wish. To quickly take as gospel an immediate estimate publicized by Hamas. Maybe you should be a little bit more cautious. Also, like at this point, parts of the Middle East are already a tinderbox because of just the whole conflict. So this fit, this idea that Israel bombed a hospital fit with what a lot of people believe about Israel, which is that they have very little concern for Palestinian rights. They kill Palestinians regularly and wantonly. So this news was like a lit match. And you started seeing more and more images of angry crowds in the Middle East, like including some massing outside of certain embassies, which is not a good sign. And and Katie, this just made me think about how much we hear about just how horrible and dangerous misinformation is about stochastic terrorism, how it like libs of TikTok, which is an account you and I, I, I think it's safe to say, hate libs of TikTok is responsible for so much hate and anger and violence. And then I feel like and then I feel like we have a situation where people are absolutely fueling a theory, which is all this was a theory about the body count and Israel's responsibility that that really was likely to cause unrest and violence. How do you how do you square people's lack of any sort of concern about their role in this? I think that 
because they think that they are right and just, this is fine. And I think people like Emma are true believers. And the thing about this is that even if Israel had was not responsible responsible for this bombing, it ultimately does not matter because the the truth is already out there. And I'm using truth in huge square quotes quotes right now. People are not going to believe it. In part because, you know, the disavowal comes from the Israeli government, the IDF, and the U.S. government, who they don't trust right. either. They're going to assume that they're lying, even if independent experts confirm that this came from Islamic Jihad or some non-Israeli source. It doesn't matter. People aren't going to believe it. I've, I keep seeing these leftist, like, Brooklyn podcasters tweeting, basically, if you believe the Israeli army here, you're a dupe. And sure, don't trust the Israeli army. But how are you going to you're going to trust Hamas? That's the other option yeah. here. Yeah. I don't see how Hamas is any more trustworthy than the, than the Israeli army. Both sides lie. Both sides have lied about previous cases of violence against civilians. So in my mind, that means if you don't trust either of them, that's fine. Wait for some sort of independent verification. But of course, that is not yeah. what happened. And the consequences of this lie spreading so quickly is that Israel will forever be blamed for this by some people, even if it wasn't actually their fault. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess two things. One is, um, I mean, the unfortunate thing is like certain explosions, you could have truly independent come, teams come in and render a verdict. That's not going to happen in Gaza City at the moment, um, as far as I know. Um, I also, I don't want to overstate this and be like, get into the realm of hysterical the same way the stochastic terrorism crowd often does. Like the people massing in the mm-hmm. streets of Baghdad chanting about Israel are not reading Emma Vigilant's tweets, uh, I don't think. Although it's funny to imagine some like hardline Sunni militia leader who's the equivalent of Emma Vigilant in Iraq. <laughs> um, uh, Emma Al-Vigilant. Uh, <laughs> but like overall, if you have a big flat platform and you spread an inflammatory claim like this, you are contributing to a snowball effect where the claim right. gets bigger and bigger and bigger and truer and truer and truer, air quotes. And it does fundamentally you are contributing in a small way to a dangerous situation, especially in yeah. something like this, where like there's a chance the region could spin out of control. So Yeah, and not just the region. I mean, shit is shit is getting weird. Shit is getting weird in Europe. I think shit might get weird here. I mean, in France they have they have made A Palestinian kid was murdered. Right. A Palestinian kid was right. stabbed to death and murdered right. because of the tension here. Yeah. I mean, that's the other direction, but yeah. In France they are banning pro-Palestinian protest. Shit is getting very weird, very dark, very quickly. And One of the more disturbing things that I've seen is people who support the Palestinian cause tearing down in the U.S., Americans tearing down flyers with pictures of missing Israelis. Have you seen a video of this? I I passed by one in Brooklyn where it was just like missing, uh, kidnapped by terrorists and someone wrote free Palestine on it. It's just like, dude... uh, let people grieve over their missing relatives. A girl who worked for the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, was caught on camera t- tearing down one of these flyers. Jesus. To her credit, she later apologized yeah. after this went viral, but she worked for the fucking ADL. Why are people doing this? It's I mean, it's not like the flyers themselves are going to help bring these people home, but it's a symbol. These people are missing. They're civilians. Some of them are peace activists. And your way of helping free Palestine is to tear down the fucking flyers it is disgusting behavior. Yeah. The the people should read about the Palestinian kid stabbed to death by his very crazy, apparently evil landlord. Um, his mom was attacked too. Absolutely horrific. Yeah. Uh, I he- I like heard an interview with her brother and she said and he said that the landlord was like friends with the family and that he used to give the kid presents. Like he he had been like nice before and then he just snaps. Um 
it was hard. It's horrific, is the point. And in in Berlin, I'm sort of worried about Berlin, which is like a city I have a tiny bit of a connection to, because both there's in Germany more broadly, there's um something of a Jewish community there, but there's also like a pretty big Middle Eastern community and a lot of support for Palestine, and and some of them are anti-Semitic, frankly. So there was a tar- uh, Berlin synagogue was targeted, uh, which is horrific. I mean absolutely horrific it was firebombed uh so there's so much reason to be careful now and to have some humility about what we do and don't know and yet all these people like decided to throw fuel on the fire um and a lot of them were more mainstream than emma vigilant um i'm picking on her because she's a very easy to person to pick on and she comes across as a really bad person frankly uh, I should note, as of Friday morning, she had not deleted her tweet stating 500 people have been killed in an intentional attack on civilians in a hospital, which is a very serious claim. A lot of other serious journalists have really embarrassed themselves this week, and maybe we should thank them for doing that, for exposing how little we should trust them. That's one thing I always get to on this, Katie. Like, If you can fuck up in such a transparent way, something where the answer is so clear, don't fucking tweet, just fucking wait. Why are we supposed to trust that these guys and gals can handle anonymous sources correctly or things we can't verify? So, I mean, what what is there? Am I being unfair? I feel like this is just on its face reason you don't need to trust this subset of journalists ever. Right. I agree with you. The thing is, I think a lot of people who are predisposed to be to believe that Israel is a great evil are going to believe them anyway. Emma doesn't need to delete her tweet because to Emma probably still believes that Israel was behind this. And Emma will always believe that. And the people who agree with her will always believe that. And so the truth really doesn't matter at this point. And things are so tribal online. It's not just Israel. It's also just like woke versus anti-woke. Like it's everything versus everything. And and people often are. Yeah, deleting. but I mean. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I, I do think the lines of this are are drawn are like a lot more muddy than, uh, say, the BLM protests, the trans stuff. I've been sort of surprised to see where people are falling on this issue. It's not neatly woke or anti-woke. I think it's – you're right. There's there's, But I think it mostly maps onto that in that there's like a subset of very online – I'm about to shift and talk about some more mainstream people. But there's a cohort of very lefty, angry online people who think – anti-wokeness is ridiculous who think israel is incredibly evil and it's like you sort of score points by by one-upping the last guy in your estimation of how evil is so that's that's who i'm seeing a lot of this stuff come from but you're right there's also like this is clearly causing a schism in the progressive community from people outraged at the initial attack and you know the lack of any humanity exhibited toward israelis you can also see a schism in the libertarian community over this you have sort of the anti-woke libertarians who are very anti-war who want the u.s not involved in this at all who are of course like the new hampshire style carlin borisenko libertarians who are being pretty fucking anti-semitic so i think this it's just been interesting to watch this is i think tearing communities apart in a way that I have not seen before, um, even even during COVID and the racial reckoning and things like this. Yeah, so let's just get to a couple other people who are involved in this, who I think we like don't need to trust anymore. So one of them is a guy named Adam Elmarek, who's an investigative reporter at the LA Times. Right off the bat, if you're an investigative reporter at the LA Times and you don't cover the Middle East, which I don't believe this guy does, don't fucking tweet about it. Don't tweet like breaking right. opinions about what's going on there. Um, this guy, this guy specializes in corruption. This is not his beat. So he tweets stuff like, "This is the day of when we have no idea what happened. How U.S. media would cover the hospital bombing if they were treating it like a Hamas attack 
Israeli militants launched a deadly terrorist strike on a hospital in Gaza today, killing hundreds of innocent people, including the sick, elderly, and children. That was at 2.30 p.m. October 17th. No one had any idea what had happened at that point exactly. Um, because he's a profound fucking idiot, he tweeted, This one I couldn't believe. Folks have tried to point out that I'm hypocritical for not demanding evidence that Hamas didn't attack the hospital. The burden is on Israel to demonstrate its extraordinary claim, Katie, this is Israel's extraordinary claim that a Hamas rocket, which usually kills maybe one at a time, somehow leveled a hospital. Let's linger on this for a minute, just about how stupid it is. The hospital um, wasn't leveled. Yeah, well, you jump. I was going to say, Katie, you don't know anything about this. You don't know anything except <laughs> about how to take care of large dogs. <laughs> what are some problems with his logic here? Well, the hospital wasn't leveled, for one thing. And look... I understand why people immediately assumed that this this Israel that this rocket came from Israel. That was my first assumption as well. But I didn't fucking tweet about it. I I I actually am not tweeting at all these days because I don't want to weigh in on this issue because I don't know enough about it. And it is one thing for random people on the internet whose hobby is stirring shit up to do this. But if you are a journalist, you have a greater responsibility to wait and see what happens. Yes, this guy has LA Times investigative reporter in his bio. People are going to trust him. Um, Katie, again, you know nothing about this conflict. So what's wrong with the logic? Hamas rockets usually only kill a few people at most. Um, I bet you could figure this out with context clues. What's the difference between Gaza City and the like farmland and kibbutzes near the border fence with Gaza? Uh, I, it's, I would guess that it's a little bit denser. That would be my guess. Yes. Yes. Gaza City, as a lot of these folks point out when Israel bombs it, is this densely populated mess of a place. I'm not speculating on exactly what happened here, but there's rubble, there's crappy infrastructure, there's fuel generators. Uh, there's way more possibility for secondary explosions and fires. And They apparently keep ammunitions in the hospital. Is that confirmed? <laughs> well, that's one thing. Israel, I mean, Hamas, I, I, in this case, I have no idea. Hamas, of course, does keep like, I don't know if that that's a possibility. These are all possibilities. The point is, there's way more possibility for secondary explosions and fires and so on, none of which necessarily explains what happens here. But the point is, this guy is a complete moron to be like, how could a Hamas rocket have, first of all, leveled a hospital? The hospital wasn't leveled. Second of all, killed hundreds of people. We still don't know exactly how many people are dead. I mean, it's horrible, however many it was. The last estimate I saw... AFP briefly said 10 to 50, which would be way lower. Another one said 100 to 200. We're not going to know for a little while. Um, at least this LA Times guy like partially corrected himself. But like, I'm not going to trust anything this fucker writes about corruption. Why should I? If he's this dumb and this knee jerk and jumping to conclusions, don't trust his work. Then there's the king of anti-disinformation uh, experts, Ben Collins. <laughs> made a complete ass of himself will include a thread of highlights from this this beloved champion of truth there's one award-winning uh, series of award-winning there's one series of exchanges i do want to focus on katie can we do a dramatic reenactment of the sequence i'll be collins you can be the people responding to him sure okay so first he tweets a uh, sky news headline reading israel hamas war at least 500 people killed in hospital bombing in gaza palestinian officials claim ben decides to immediately disseminate this he simply says a hospital period okay so there's a response here from someone named jordan klein this is horrific but can we wait a bit to see what actually unfolded before parroting the hamas government that this was an israeli airstrike there are conflicting reports the explosion was caused by a, f a failed hamas rocket collins responds 
I think people should know hundreds of people died at a hospital immediately, actually. That's why I picked that headline specifically. Someone named Beth says... It's an absolute horror that anyone of good conscience can mourn over. At the same time, these innocent victims were put in danger in the first place by Hamas's terrorism and their strategy to embed with civilians and may very well have died by Hamas rocket. Context is important. Ben replies, we don't know that yet. What we do know is that hundreds are dead at a hospital, which this headline outlines. We did not know at this point how many were dead. I don't understand this. He's supposedly a disinformation reporter. He understands, in theory, how disinformation works. He sees one initial report from a very motivated party, Hamas, and he says, we do know that what they say is true. I don't, I don't understand this, Katie. I don't understand. This, this is a reporter sitting in one of the highest perches of American journalism, just tweeting through it over and over and over again. And, and you just you can't employ a guy like this and give him awards as Robbie Suave pointed out in a cathartic article we'll link to, he won something called the 2023 Walter Cronkite Award for Excellence in Television Political Journalism. You can't employ someone like Ben Collins and then complain when people turn to Joe Rogan or even Alex Jones for these new, for their news. Like These people are complete hacks, and a fair number of them aren't Emma Vigilant because like, she's at least sequestered on a far-left internet channel, albeit one that's way too popular. Someone like Ben Collins or this LA Times investigative reporter, they're mainstream. And there are still good reporters working at places like NBC. We'll include a link to an article NBC published presenting the evidence that, that it was in Israel. Um, I just This was such a disturbing week, and I feel bad for the journalists who have to share an employer with someone like Ben Collins or the LA Times guy. Uh Again, definitely read Robbie Suave's article about all this. All right, Jesse, I'm going to do something that causes me physical pain and actually defend Ben Collins a, lit here, a little bit here. Okay. Because the headline that he chose, Israel-Hamas war, colon, at least 500 people killed in hospital bombing in Gaza, Palestinian officials claim, that headline doesn't actually say Israel did it, which is what I think he's saying when he says that's why he chose the headline. So, so at least 500 people killed, that is incorrect. That part is misinformation that he's spreading. But I think he actually, there are other headlines he could have chosen that were more egregiously wrong, such as the New York Times headline, attributing the the bombing to Israel directly. um, Yeah, I just don't, how does he know that the death toll was in the hundreds? How does he know that that's true immediately? Based on what? He, he doesn't know. He doesn't know at all. Yeah. And he says, I think people should know hundreds of people died at a hospital immediately. That's why I picked that. Help. Yeah. Right. My point is just that there are many, many other people who immediately said this was Israel. And at least he didn't do that. Yeah. yeah that's right. fair. Um, okay. I take it all back. I like Ben Collins now. <laughs> Sorry. I'm being a dick. He's just... Um, and then another example, just one more about Emma Vigilant. Aaron Rupar tweeted... Biden claims that based on the information we've seen to date, that's a quote, the deadly explosion at a hospital in Gaza, quote, appears to be a result of an errant rocket fired by a terrorist group in Gaza, end quote, and expresses condolences for the victim. That's October 18th, a day later. Emma Vigilant retweets that. This is Joe Biden saying what we now think is probably true. All she says, disgraceful, period. <laughs> Do you think the part that she found disgraceful was that he expressed condolence for the victims? Was that it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I also want to say we're not going to get as into it because like we, we want to not overdose on Israel Gaza stuff. There were also some pretty big journalistic fuck ups. Um, so Katie, scroll down. Just read and describe this New York Times homepage screenshot I included here. 
Okay, New York Times says, Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital, Palestinians say. Thank God they included Palestinians say, otherwise it'd be totally incorrect. Mm. But then uh, describe that image for me. This is a big image right below the headline. Underneath that headline is a photo of, it looks like a a bombed out building with a lot of people standing around, people under rubble and stuff like that. A a multi-story building, like basically destroyed. You can see a cross section of it. And as people pointed out, you need to read the caption on that photo to see it's from somewhere else. Um, now we're not we're not usually headline cops or like front page cops. We think uh, we've talked about people going over the top and like, oh no, this headline wasn't phrased the exact way. But you can understand how people are a little bit frustrated. Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital. Palestinians say, and you choose as your homepage photo a photo that very much looks like that kind of scene. Right. If a building was destroyed, um, and then you have to read the caption to see it's from a totally different area. So I just that was bad. But even if you read the caption, I'll read the caption. Israeli forces again bombarded Gaza with airstrikes on Tuesday, including in the southern cities yeah. of Khan Yunus above and. Rafa. I don't know where the hospital was. Khan Yunus, that that doesn't actually tell me that it's not the hospital. Yeah. Khan Yunus is more in the south, but the people wouldn't know that. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's just it's just really, really bad. And um there was a lot of just bad half-baked journalism. People people can find more evidence of this online. But I just this is gonna get, especially if Israel does invade and there's like chaotic urban warfare, there will be atrocities. Um of various sorts, intentional and unintentional atrocities, this is all just going to get really worse. And I think every step of the way, you know, the Ben Collinses and the Emma Vigilans will just be making the world slightly worse by tweeting when they don't have to tweet um, and just by not having any humility. And it's very frustrating to watch. I have just been shocked at how hard it is to get good information about this conflict. I just, I really don't know who to trust. Like, I know where to get the pro-Israel perspective. If I want that, I'll go to Barry Weiss's newsletter or something like that. If I want to get the pro-Palestinian perspective, I go to Al Jazeera. But in terms of getting the truth, the unbiased, this is just the facts, I honestly don't know know where to go. And one example of this is the show On Point. I really like this show. I have talked a lot in recent years about how public radio has been ideologically captured, and it is really hard to get good neutral information from public radio or to get a diversity, a viewpoint diversity on public radio. On Point is a is a glowing exception to that. They've had in recent in the last year, I've heard interviews with Hannah Barnes, who wrote the book on the Tavistock Clinic. She did our show after affirmative action, after the Supreme Court ruled on affirmative action. They had John McWhorter on. They had Freddie DeBoer on last week. So I wrote them after they had Freddie on. I wrote an email to to the staff and I just commended them on their coverage of this. Later that day, I happened to see a Facebook post from uh, an old boss of mine who worked at the public radio station in Charlotte, and he posted a link to uh, an explanation for something that had happened on On Point the day before. And I hadn't heard this. I subsequently listened to it. But it turned out that the day before they had Freddie DeBoer on. So the day before I sent them this complimentary email, they had a scholar on, a a scholar of Gaza, a guy who who studies and writes about the history of Gaza. He's affiliated with a couple of of institutions, Northwestern at Cotter, which is not a place I realize existed, but apparently does. He has some affiliation with Cambridge. So it seems like, you know, PhD, written books seems like the like an expert in this on this issue and he was on to talk about the history of Hamas and to give some context for this comp, co- uh, this conflict halfway through the interview he starts saying uh Hamas didn't actually kill women and children that's all israeli propaganda <laughs> oh my god yeah 
And so this is a show that I trust. And and Magna, Magna Chakravarti, she pushed back on that. I don't think she pushed back forcefully enough, but she did push back on this. They ended up the next day issuing this sort of statement and like apologizing, basically. But it's like if the sh- if the show that I trust the most right now on public radio is having on a scholar who is actually s- like spreading like conspiracy theories about this. We have fucking video. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I honestly do not know where to get just straight up balanced, truthful, unbiased information on this conflict. And that is very disturbing. Okay. I guess that's enough Israel-Gaza for now. But yeah, hopefully people will do clap, better clap. Should we, uh, should we do housekeeping? Let's do it. But first, an ad. Shopify, the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses, has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS. Does that mean piece of shit? <laughs> point of sale, I believe, Katie. <laughs> Katie, point of Katie sale. do you think Shopify is advertising something called Shopify piece of shit? Just use, use context clues. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Take customers from picking it out to picking it up. Shopify syncs in-store inventory with Google. So when local customers search for that thing that they want that you have, bam, you're there. Demand meets supply, baby. Is it okay to say baby? Does that make me sound cooler? No. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system. That's POS, Katie. Or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify, baby. Don't say that. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash barpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash barpod to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash barpod. Baby. All right. Housekeeping. We're a podcast, blockchainreported.org. Um, we are... <laughs> We are sick. <laughs> like the braid. I We're sick. We're a little bit sick. We are travel weary. Travel weary. I'm sick weary. Okay. Couple things. Go to Block Your Important. War weary. Yeah. Just very war. The war is really affecting us here in Brooklyn and Asheville. You know who, you know who is like most affected by this war? The most, the person I feel the worst for? Vladimir Zelensky. I thought I thought you could say Vladimir Putin. Is it Vladimir Zelensky? Uh, whatever. I feel terrible for that guy. He's once you learn his name, you will feel bad for him. We have complete. Nobody cares about Ukraine anymore. It is all about Gaza, all about Israel. We're going to take his money. We're going to give it to Israel and Palestine now. It is over for him. He is out. Middle East is in. Katie, the fall, like you can't go into the fall season without introducing a new war. You can't just like have last season. Apparently. BlockedReporter.org. For $5 a month and up, you can sign up to become a premium subscriber. We just sent our premium subscribers an invite to a party in New York that you will not be at, although I've told people to peer pressure you to fly up, but you're not going to because mm-hmm. you would miss your dog too bad. No. Uh, you know, I, I I did think about it for one moment, but Jan is going to be back in Seattle working, so I can't leave Moose home okay. alone. He doesn't do well with the sitters. Um, 
we've already sent out an invite to premium subscribers. I'm going to, there's going to be some space left. I'll send an invite out to free subscribers. Uh, December 2nd, Bar Pod Primo Party. That's one of the benefits you get if you're a primo. You also get three extra episodes a month. You get to get drunk with Jesse. Can you imagine? Can the problem is it? I can't really... I can get sloppy drunk around my friends. I can't get sloppy drunk around listeners because I'm their, basically their messiah. And I don't want to disappoint uh, them. <laughs> I think people are okay with a sloppy drunk messiah. <laughs> I am your God. Do not make... Anyone who's been to a bar pot event knows that if anyone makes eye contact with me, I will lay into you viciously. So just be careful. No, it'll be very good or to Or I'll adopt you. Or I'll adopt you. I've adopted... It's a long story. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to this event. If you want to find out more, become a primo. Um, Blotterimported.reddit.com for all your subreddit needs. Barpodmerch.com for your merch needs. Um, we have uh, shirts and stuff. What else, Katie? I don't know what else, Jesse. Just go to Blotterimported. Whatever, please, and join us. That is or Blotterimported.org. You should know this by now. It's org. not that hard. That is the best way to support the show the reason that we can keep this going is because of our primos that's why that's the only reason why the ads aren't doing it folks it's the primos the ads are wonderful we love <laughs> shopify like which you did not more. hear from if you're on the premium oh yeah you get ad free episodes if you're um, that's right a listener too so some of you did not hear the amazing shopify ad we just did sorry well actually no we anyway let's move on katie uh, mormons yes jesse now we are moving to another forsaken desert utah uh, have you ever heard of the name Tim Ballard? You know, it sounds familiar, but not really. Okay, he's very, very famous in some quarter of the, quarters of the world, and he is the subject of the movie Sound of Freedom. It was a surprise hit. It became the best-selling indie movie of last year, bringing in $100 million at the box office. That's a it lot. It's not out on streaming yet. It's a lot of fucking money. It was distributed by a faith-based company, Angel Studios, and this movie very quickly became fodder for the culture wars. Jesse, I am 100% sure you have not seen it. What do you know about Sound of Freedom? Um, it sounds like it's a Frida, a, a movie about sort of auditory sensation and a lack of oppression. Yeah, like about Napster, maybe? Yeah, probably about Napster, if I had to guess. Yeah, it's not. So the movie is about this guy, Tim Ballard. He is a former CIA agent, as well as a former agent at Homeland Security. And he, while he was employed, he specifically investigated cases of child sex abuse, including child pornography. And in the film, he gets frustrated with the fact that he's busting all of these guys for trading and possessing kid child abuse material nay kitty porn but he can never actually save any of these kids he just like gets the perp but he doesn't save anybody and a lot of the kids are overseas and he just feels increasingly helpless about this so he quits his job at homeland security to basically act, act as like a freelance child rescuer and the movie is about that about his early rescue can I, can, I, can I just say yes having heard what you've said so far my only response what could go wrong? Right, right. Becoming a freelance child rescuer. It's very indie. Indie film, indie child rescue. Um, so the film is supposed to be pretty true to life. But of course, there are some liberties. Like in the movie, he poses as a doctor in the Colombian jungle, jungle and kills a trafficker in order to save a little girl. That didn't happen, apparently. Um, and in the film, he's played by a guy, an actor named Jim... Caviezel. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Caviezel. Caviezel. Jim Caviezel. He played Jesus. Yeah. He was in Passion of the Christ. Was it Passion of the Christ or Passion of the Christ too? Well, Passion of the Christ. I love how I, I said how to pronounce his name really uh, confidently. I'm sure I was wrong. But yeah, Jim, because no, Jim Caviezel was um, in um, Passion of the Christ, which was that brutal torture porn about Jesus. Did you watch that one? 
the uh, Mel Gibson. No, of course not. I was told it was anti-Semitic. I don't know if it was. I no longer trust the the Q yeah. media. But... Well, it was made by Mel Gibson, so um, pretty pretty. Well, that's a pretty strong, <laughs> pretty strong hint. The film is very much a hagiography of Tim Ballard, and at the end of the movie, it fades from a still of Jim Cavizio. Cavizil. Just look it up. Just look it up. Just People tell me again. So tell me again. You. Tell me again. Isn't it just Jim Caviezel? Yeah, Jim Caviezel, I guess. Into why? why what, what's the resistance to googling this? I only need to look up names if the if it is a POC. I do not have to get white names right. Okay. That is the rule. That's fine. Okay, so it, it fades from a still of I'm just going to call him Jim of a still of Jim into a into a. This <laughs> is like a new pronunciation, <laughs> even for us. It it fades from a still of Jim into a photo of Tim Ballard. He, he, they're both these like sort of square jawed, hunky blondes, and then it ends with a uh, with footage of Tim Ballard's actual raid on this island in Colombia. He apparently rescued rescued 120 victims during this raid, including 54 miners. And this raid led to the arrest of 12 traffickers. And then from there, it fades into footage of him testifying in front of Congress. And there's a final note that says that human trafficking is a $150 billion a year industry. And there are more slaves today than at any time in human history including children slaves, and then it fades to black. Uh, I tried to fact check this, by the way. This is really hard to do because all the stats come from anti-trafficking activist groups, and the stats there are just notoriously fishy. None of them are like, actually, there's right. no traffic, very little trafficking. We've made progress. Right. I'll post a link in the show notes to a column by uh, Glenn Klessler with more information about that. But the takeaway is that when we're talking, we're talking about a black market here. So like, be very wary of stats that come from activist groups on this particular issue. Okay, so how was this movie received? The reviews are very mixed. And like I said before, it very quickly became culture war fodder. So to leftist, it was a QAnon, QAnon adjacent power fantasy for white saviors. To conservatives, it was a symbol of a heroic fight against this very serious problem. And the negative reactions to the film, to these conservative, conservatives, only served as more proof of leftist depravity. So it currently has an audience score of 99 on Rotten Tomatoes and a critic score of 58. And I am a man of the people, Jesse, but it, this is one you case. Are, yes, you're a man of I the am. people, are you? I have two homes, but they're both shitty. Uh, this is one case where I'm going to be a snob and say that the critics are right. This movie, it was hard to watch, not only because it's not out on streaming yet. And so I ac- first, I accidentally rented Sounds of Fury on Amazon. Uh, this was a 2017 flop starring Catherine Celio and Bruce Weech. That cost me $3.50. It gets 2.5 stars on Amazon. It was not the movie I set out to watch. And it might actually be better than Sound of Freedom, which I ended up having to pirate. So hard to watch for that reason. Parts of it are Spanish. The subtitles didn't work in my version very well. Regardless... <laughs> I really did go into this viewing with an open mind. Like I was prepared to like it because I like spy movies and I like crime movies and I like thrillers and I like true crime and I like shit like that. And this is that genre. Uh, But it's so bad. Like for one, it did not pass the Bechdel test. (laughs) Two, not enough sex. I mean, if you want to see a movie, yeah. (laughs) If you want to see a movie about child exploitation and sexualization, check out Cuties or my personal favorite, Toddlers and Tiaras. Okay, I'm kidding about that. This has been pedophile movie reviews with Katie (laughs) Hurst. It is a genuinely bad movie, which is too bad because the story itself is good. 
But this movie is so overly dramatic that to me it was just unwatchable. Like I actually had to watch it in two parts. I had to take a break in the middle to go clean my bathroom. That's how bad it was. Did, did the need to clean your bathroom have anything to do with the quality of the movie? It did. It did. I, I shit I shit on the floor all over my bathroom because <laughs> it was so bad. Solve that case. Oh, you do a true crime. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I really, I don't think there's a single second of the movie that isn't being drowned out by this just incredibly maudlin score. So the acting is bad. The writing is bad. The production is bad. It's just a bad, bad movie. Like one of the pedophiles in the movie has a mustache and wears those wire-rimmed glasses that they apparently give out to pedophiles at Warby Parker. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's like, like look at the stereotype of a pedophile and it's this, it's this guy. The hero looks like Superman. It's so cheesy and predictable. And predictable. No moral ambiguity. It is just black and white, good and evil. It is like Emma Viglin's notion. If Emma Viglin cared about child trafficking, which I am sure that she doesn't, it was that sort of black and white. You see what I mean? <laughs> I love that that's where we've got into with our Emma Vigilant yes. uh, discourse. She does not care if children are enslaved. We know this just as much as she knows 500 people were killed in the hospital. She would care if they were Palestinian children, not Israeli children. Of course, of course. Okay. So that is why I didn't like the movie, because it's bad. But in addition to the movie's many cinematic failings, many critics, other critics, also took issue with the film's politics, which are definitely conservative. So besides the fact that it has this affiliation with this faith-based company, Angel Productions, Tim Ballard himself, he's Mormon, and he is the founder of Operation Underground Railroad, which is what the movie is basically about, how Operation Underground Railroad came to be. And no, Jesse, this is not about the slave trade. This is not about freeing the slaves. Okay. So, well, I'm sure from their point of view, it's about freeing a type of slave. What's what's this? Operation Underground Railroad. So it's an anti-sex trafficking organization run primarily by a group of practicing Mormons, including Tim Ballard, although, as you will hear, he's no longer with the group. He was one of the founders. And they have achieved a lot of notoriety through these sort of flashy, dangerous, cinematic approaches to rescues. So their operatives go undercover in places like Colombia or Honduras, and they pose as potential clients for traffickers, like sex tourists. And then they work with local law enforcement to stage raids on traffickers and rescue these kids while filming the whole thing. So it's sort of like like those people who pose as 14-year-olds in chat rooms yeah. and then get some guy to agree to meet up and then they show up with cameras. It's sort of like that. Yeah. But in or like the, cops. They, well, they bring the cops with them. Yeah. They're with, they, they, okay. they, they work with local law enforcement. Um, and this well, so, No, I meant more like the show cops where you get oh, or, yeah. or to catch a predator yeah. where you get to see the moment the person is. Yeah, yeah that is true. That is maybe true crime that men, isn't, that men are into more than women. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, they're not just targeting the perps. They're, they're actually rescuing children. And they get a lot of, of positive press for, the, uh, for this approach and some negative press as well. They've brought big guests like Glenn Beck and the Utah Adjour- Attorney General along on their missions. And they're very good at PR. So footage from their raids ends up in promotional material uh, that they use to raise funds. And at one point, Ballard was trying to get a TV show off the ground. And plus now there's this, this like incredibly successful movie. Okay, so what's the the beef from like liberal critics of this of the film or the organization? Okay, so uh, there's just some like obvious partisan stuff. They're conservative, and conservatives are bad, so therefore they're bad. So that's part of it. They're against child abuse, which we're in favor of, right? Exactly. And so there's this also just the hostility to organized religion, but it's not just that. Basically, what it comes down to is that a lot of liberals 
just think child trafficking is less of a problem than groups like this claim. So here's a quote from Salon. Caviezel has been enthusiastically using his press tour to profess his belief in an international black market where a barrel of children's body parts goes for a thousand times the price of oil. Huh. I disagree with that. Oil is, is, is going up. Or maybe it's going down. <laughs> Ballard himself has circulated wild and unsupported figures about the extent of the sex trafficking industry, including the claim that 10,000 children are smuggled into the U.S. Ever, for sex every year, which was picked up and used as a campaign talking point by Donald Trump. Trump also made Ballard the co-chair of a State Department Advisory Council on Human Trafficking. Vice has also done a lot of investigating into this group, Underground Railroad, Operation Underground Ra- Railroad, and they claim that... They exaggerate their successes and their involvement in various cases. There was a long criminal investigation into the group over whether or not they basically created demand for trafficking by enticing people to traffic children who hadn't done it before. And we've seen this. So like an entrapment with like the FBI. Yeah. You were going to say probably we've seen this FBI like schmucky young Muslims who they basically turn into would be terrorists. Or like white supremacists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So no charges were brought against them in that case. This case is going to come up later in the show as well. But they faced a lot of criticism of that nature. And plus there's the fact that to some people, the film is basically basically seems like QAnon adjacent. You know, the idea that there are pedophile rings in the highest reaches of government and industry. And to be clear, the film is neither explicitly or implicitly a Q film. Like Tom Hanks isn't hiding children in wardrobes from Wayfair. John Podesta doesn't make an appearance. Ballard himself denies any ties to QAnon, but Jim Cavazell. Oh, so Ballard is himself covering up what John Podesta did to his kids. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. Uh, this goes so deep. I know, so deep. Uh, but Jim Cavazell, how do I say it? Gazelle? Dude, Cavazell. this is like. Just tell me. Just can tell we take me. five seconds for you to just go to an online pronouncer? No, Let's I, do it I, together. you are you my Jim, pronouncer. Jim Cavazell. No, Cavazell. I just need you to say it. Jim Caviezel. If you took German, it would be... Okay, wait. Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel hasn't explicitly said he's a Q follower, but he does spout some Jim, of their... I'm sorry. No, I'm watching this video. Jim, okay. it's such a soothing voice. Jim Caviezel. Yeah. I just needed you to say it. I just keep forgetting. It's not that I can't pronounce oh it, that God. I can't remember it. Okay. All right. So he hasn't he said that he's a Q follower, but like he gave a speech called The Storm is Upon Us <laughs> at a God and Country conference. And as you may recall... Yeah. That's also the weird thing that Trump tweeted that maybe made people think that he was signaling to the Q followers. Yeah. Uh, he's also referred to this absolutely- Are we in the territory this- of like the difference between Hamas and Pal- Hamas and Palestinian <laughs> here? I'm not one of uh, them. We have different rockets. Yes. Uh, he's also referred to this absolutely bizarre conspiracy that elites are, quote, adrenochroming children, mm-hmm. which means- harvesting chemicals from kids adrenal glands to stop their own aging which i think might be what that guy who's like 55 is like the billionaire who's trying to stop death i think that's maybe what he's doing probably he's vegan and also he's stealing adrenal juice from kids okay so there's all that stuff plus tim ballard is white and a lot of the organization is white so they're guilty of white saviorism and there's the name operation underground railroad which is a cultural appropriation on par with green pea guacamole. It's a, like it's a weird name. Mm-hmm. It's kind of taken. You'd think it would be trademark. They did it. They did a cultural appropriation. Yeah. Okay. So what what's the view on these folks and these tactics from like I'm sure there's sane anti trafficking orgs. What do they think about all this? Um, they do not seem to like them very much, as far as I can tell. So they're criticized for potentially entrapping people, as we mentioned before. 
Plus, there are concerns that the local police are that they're working with are actually complicit in the trafficking. So maybe they're what? being paid off by traffickers. Yeah, because they don't like they haven't done anything. If these people are so easy to find, like why haven't the cops done anything about it until this American organization with the film crew shows up? And so some anti-traffickers who work in this space are concerned that basically as soon as the camera crews go home, they just let the perps off while taking credit for the raids. Huh. Yeah. These are corrupt. This is happening in corrupt countries. Yeah. They also tend to target low-level operatives, so there's very little lasting impact on the industry itself. And they say that this sort of cinematic approach doesn't give people a, a, like an accurate representation of what trafficking actually look like looks like. So in the movie, these two kids are kidnapped and sold into sex, sex slavery. Like they're kidnapped from their father. And then the hero goes to these remarkable lengths to save them, including stealing a boat and fleeing in a hail of gunfire. But in reality, human trafficking is typically much more mundane, like kids running away from home or getting kicked out of their houses and end up doing sex work for survival, or they're forced into some sort of labor by a relative, stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay, so many professionals in the field have publicly criticized the film and Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, Ann Gallagher, she's a leading expert on human trafficking. She called them, quote, arrogant, unethical, and illegal. And there's a former volunteer named Meg Conley. She wrote a piece for Salon called Called by God. In 2014, I went on a vigilante raid to save, scare quotes, kids sold for sex. What we did haunts me now. So she went with Ballard. This is one of the first raids, maybe even the first raid. Uh, they went to the Dominican Republic, and she posed as a sex tourist and was there during a raid that saved 26 children. But she said that she later got disillusioned with the group and started reading their critics. And she writes, quote, The research I learned tells us our 2014 raid was most likely just another childhood trauma for these 26 kids. We made their lives worse. Well, so how could that be if, if they actually did save them from sex traffickers, wouldn't that make their lives better? Well, we don't know if they are actually saved by sex, from sex traffickers. Well, so what happens after like the raid? What happens to the kids? So that's a great question. Uh, Operation Underground R Railroad, our, they say they partner with other groups that provide aftercare, which I thought that was the term for cuddling after an orgy, but apparently <laughs> it has two meanings. Um, after that 2014 raid, Foreign Policy reported that the local group that they partnered with didn't have the capacity to take care of these kids, so they released them in less than a week. I should note that was very early in their existence, and today they claim to, quote, utilize best practices and trauma-informed care and provide person-centered services for survivors of, tra of human trafficking and exploitation. So if nothing else, they are good with buzzwords. Yeah, the lingo they've got down. Yeah. And Connolly's description of the group is is pretty icky. Like, she writes that rich people can essentially sponsor a raid, so they pay tens of thousands of dollars, and then they live stream it at home. Of course, to supporters, Tim Ballard is basically a big fucking blonde angel. He's a hero. Glenn Beck, in particular, has been really supportive of the organization. He's also a Mormon. Uh, he really championed Ballard, and he sent a blaze. He went on a, a raid himself. He also sent a, a writer from the blaze um, on a raid with them in Thailand, and he relentlessly promoted the movie Sound of Freedom. They published the blaze published at least four articles that were some variation of "Here's why leftist journalists really hate the Sound of Freedom." Uh, the answer to that question, according to Blaze writer Orrin McIntyre, is that, quote, journalists hate the movie for a simple and very telling reason. 
they have managed to code opposition to child sex trafficking as a radical right-wing position. Now, the movie is genuinely bad, but I do think he is correct about that. I mean, and it's weird, right? Like, why is this a conservative cause and not a liberal one? A lot of the victims are BIPOC, even Latinx. And plus, we're talking about literal slavery, which you would think that progressives would be against. But you really do not see many progressives like tweeting about this cause, much less making feature films about Central American children sold into sex slavery. I mean, why do you think this is inherently conservative, Jesse? I just think my own view is that from what this is not an area where I know a lot, but the anti-trafficking folks, my sense, partly we talked about this before and partly from like um Elizabeth Nolan Brown is sometimes they get a little bit overzealous and they yeah. they exaggerate the amount of sex trafficking going on um so i yeah it's coded these particular activist expert efforts are coded in my head as conservative mm-hmm. um that's not to say i think everyone <laughs> most people other most people other than the shadowy cabal of global elites are right. on the same page as this but um i think some of the organizations that are in anti-trafficking stuff are are a little bit not so. And a lot of them are religious. And yeah. I think also part of it is that they mostly have an opposition to sex work, legalized sex work, sex work at all. And that sort of butts up against some current liberal taboos. Although, of course, that's very complicated. And there's lots of feminists who think sex work should be totally illegal. But it is sort of interesting to me how these things end up being coded as liberal or conservative, like environmentalism, conservation, those end up being coded as liberal. But rural people actually tend to be the people who really are more likely in some ways to interact with the land tend to be more conservative. Anyway, weird, weird cultural shit. Yeah. And and Tim Ballard, he really did become a folk hero among conservatives and especially among Mormons. The movie was a gigantic hit. And here's this guy who actually saves children. And with news of Mitt Romney's retirement, Ballard looked poised to make a Senate run in Utah. But Jesse, all of that changed recently after Ballard's rather stunning fall from grace, which is what we are actually here to discuss today. So what happened? So in July, Vice's Anna Merlin, friend of the pod, uh, she's been on the Ballard beat for years. She broke the news that Tim Ballard was out at Operation Rescue, but the reasons were opaque. Our, so Operation, uh, it's going to sound weird when I say this, but I'm going to continue to say it. Our said in a statement that he'd actually stepped away before the film came out, But Ballard said nothing about this during the press tour. Merlin didn't quite have the tea when she broke that story. She just knew that he was gone. She later reported that there had been an anonymous letter sent out to employees and donors at Hour claiming that he left because of allegations brought on by former employees. And this was not the first anonymous letter to circulate in this world, by the way. So in 2020, another anonymous letter was sent around claiming that Ballard was misusing funds and that there were allegations against him by women. And this makes me wonder, do they not have Twitter in Utah? <laughs> Letters don't go viral. Just like start a burner account. Anyway. What were the... Um, so he was alleged to have done what to or, or by women? Okay. So the allegations at that point were unclear. That was in July. And then a couple months later, in September, something extremely rare happened. The Church of Latter-day Saints publicly denounces Tim Ballard in, of all things, a statement to, of all people, Anna fucking Merlin. Huh. So, I know. So Merlin reports that during this criminal investigation that I mentioned a little while ago, you remember that? I do. The one that didn't eventually lead to charges? Okay. Yeah. So our insiders who were interviewed during this investigation 
alleged that Ballard misrepresented his relationship with a high-ranking member of the church in order to further his own business interests and that of Operation Underground Railroad. So this church leader, this church elder, his name was Russell Ballard. It's confusing. They aren't related. And Merlin reports this. The ties between Tim Ballard and Elder Ballard described in these documents, and that's the documents related to the investigation, the criminal investigation, are numerous and occasionally bizarre, involving claimed business arrangements, blessings, and even a psychic who claimed to be able to communicate with the prophet Nephi, who, according to the Book of Mormon, has been dead for thousands of years. Allegations from a former hour higher up, as well as text messages contained in the documents obtained by Vice News, suggest that Tim Ballard and an associate represented Elder Elder Ballard as a partner in a for-profit business called Slave Stealers, which was pitched as a way to control our and other nonprofits. It was apparently viewed as part of a scheme that would allow Tim Ballard to monetize the notoriety he gained through his often exaggerated exploits. And that is why the LDS Church denounced him. But no mention of anything involving mistreatment of women in there. So the statement the church gave to Anna Merlin doesn't explicitly mention the allegations, which were still fuzzy at that point. They really did focus on this betrayal of Elder Russell Ballard. They used that term. Quote, once it became clear Tim Ballard had betrayed their friendship through the unauthorized use of President Ballard's name for Tim Ballard's personal advantage and activity regarded as morally unacceptable, President Ballard withdrew his association. So they don't mention the women's stuff at all, but there's that one sentence, activity regarded as morally unacceptable. And this statement is just shocking to people in the LDS church. Mormons don't do this. Like, do you remember a few- Mormons are nice. Mormons are super nice. They're super nice. Do you remember a few months ago, uh, I did that story about the Unitarian church? (laughs) You remember that one? Yeah. They will publicly de- denounce your ass if you hum along to the N-word when a Biggie Small song comes on the radio. Mormons do not denounce people publicly. It is extremely rare. And so initially, some Ballard supporters straight up didn't believe it. Like, for one, this statement was given to Vice. They don't trust Vice. Anna Merlin has been gunning for Tim Ballard for years. So why the hell would the church give this statement to the enemy? Nope. No comment about Anna Berlin's trustworthiness. Anna Berlin, I will say. We're not going to go there. You don't want to go there? No, we can skip it. If she's got the good, she's got the good. Whatever. It's not worth it. We will post a link to the... I think we have to say this every time Anna Berlin comes up to the show. We will post a link to her magnum opus. This was published in Jezebel. Is the UVA rape story a gigantic host? Ask idiot. This was about Robbie Suave, who was one of the the earliest reporters to cast out on the what ended up being a giant hoax. And and you can have a, a giant fuck up early in your career if you then sort of like, I mean, she hasn't had any. This is partly she just comes across as like a really miserable, um, sanctimonious person online, and like that's the kind of thing where it's such a bad fuck up that it should change your approach to being sanctimonious. Yeah. And she also uh, one of the responses in the comment section was amazingly smug to Robbie and mentioned that she'd gone to the Columbia School of Journalism. We know no one who's gone to CJR could possibly get stuff wrong. This is a little bit petty, but she just like, a lot of people point to that as like, you know, a pretty bad thing. But in this case, there's nothing to suggest that this isn't solid reporting. So whatever, maybe we should just skip the denunciation of Anna Merlin. She, I mean, I don't want to skip it. Although maybe we could come up with a, like an acronym for it. So every time she comes up, we could just like say the acronym or like an initialism. Like when Muslims mention yes. Muhammad, they do PBUH. Something um, like that. Okay. Anna, so it could be Anna Merlin was, Anna Merlin was once an idiot. A-M-W-A-I. 
And why? Uh, and why? Okay. And why? All right. Note right, for Bar Cannon, this and why now means Anna Merlin was once an idiot. And she has come up on this show before. She's done some like pretty decent reporting. There was a, a show we, or there was a an episode we did, I think, early on of this in this show, which was about a a guy who got an air like got an Airbnb somewhere in upstate New York. And then made these allegations online that the Airbnb was satanic based on basically nothing on some like art and some like kitschy yeah. art in the place. It, and, and, and Anna Merlin, like to her credit. Am I? Am I? Uh, to, to her credit, like actually looked into this, talked to the guy who owned the Airbnb. And then she, of course, was accused of of white supremacy because the guy who made the allegation about the uh, about the non-Satanist Satanist word was black. It sounds like she's... A- to me, like yeah. she's a white supremacist. I mean, if you're accused of stuff online, that's true. Okay. Anyway, we can let's move on. Believe internet people. That's the the next movement. But let's move on. But yes, she does have. Wait, it wouldn't be Amy. Was once Amy. Why? Amy. Okay. Amy. All right. Like a little more Australian. Amy. Anna Merlin. Amy. She does seem to have the goods on this. She has written a yes. lot about Tim Ballard, and she got a bunch of documents. Literally and obsessed. Yes. She Sorry, is I'm literally bad. obsessed with him. Okay, so anyway, a lot of people in the Mormon community, a lot of Ballard supporters at first did not believe that the LDS church, the Mormon church, had actually publicly denounced him because they don't do this sort of thing. They gave this statement to Anna Merlin. There was no name attached to the statement. So they found this all very fishy. And there were a number of threads on Twitter basically claiming that this didn't come from the church at all. And Tim Ballard, I should say, he denies any wrongdoing. He says it's not true. Nothing you hear is true. And he says he doesn't believe that this statement that Anna Merlin published actually came from the church. Does Glenn Beck say anything? So first, Glenn Beck criticized the church on Twitter, especially for giving this statement for Vice. He tweets a thread about this, and then he later deletes the thread after more details about Ballard's behavior comes to light. Okay, so what 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 came to light? Okay, so a few days after this bombshell statement drops, a Utah journalist named Lynn Kenneth Packer got a copy of that anonymous letter that had been circulating in Operation Underground Railroad Circles. He published it on YouTube. Here's a quote from that. Several weeks ago, an hour employee who had accompanied Tim on an underground operation filed a sexual harassment complaint against him with Hour's HR department. This resulted in an extensive internal investigation into Tim and his individual operational tactics and led to more women speaking up as part of the investigation process. It was ultimately revealed through disturbingly specific and parallel accounts that Tim has been deceitfully and extensively grooming and manipulating multiple women for the past few years with the ultimate intent of coercing them to participate in sexual acts with him under the premise of going where it takes and doing, quote, whatever it takes to save a child. Uh, that's really bad. Yeah. So basically the allegations are, are that Tim Ballard would bring these women, invite these women to go on raids with him and pose as his wife or his girlfriend. And then he would insist that they really act the part, you know, and I'm not talking about bickering about who's going to walk the dog. He, and he's a married man with nine kids, by the way. And although he is Mormon, he's not the kind to practice plural marriage. As far as I know, he's not in an open relationship. So this looks really bad. And after this news breaks, Ballard continues to deny it. But even some of his longtime supporters start to turn on him, including Glenn Beck. So Beck talked about this on a show. He said, quote, I had been friends with Tim Ballard for so long, and I felt completely duped. 
I thought if I didn't know this about someone I'm close to, how can I possibly come on the air and tell people what is true? I have no idea, obviously. So this is Glenn Beck. He's, he's come uh, to Jesus moment. about his jur- journalistic standards. Okay. Yeah. The Blaze, so to their credit, they published their own investigation into the allegations against Ballard, and it's pretty damning. They get some of the women who worked with him to go on the record, although they don't publish their names. And they said Ballard called this element of the the operation the couple's ruse. Here's a quote from that. According to the women who spoke with Blaze News, before they ever went uncovered together, Ballard first wanted to ensure he and his female counterparts in the couple's ruse had physical chemistry. Quote, traffickers can smell the pheromones, he would allegedly say, impressing upon women that the, their couple's ruse had to be believable or otherwise the mission and their very lives might be at risk. God, the pheromones? Oh my God. Yeah, it gets weirder. To that end, several women told Blaze News that Ballard encouraged them to participate in tantric massages before and while on a couple's ruse. A tantric massage is an erotic massage that often involves participants lying naked or nearly naked together. For men, a tantric massage is called a lingam, a Sanskrit word for penis that some tantric massage enthusiasts have translated to mean shaft of light or wand of light. Did you know that, Jesse? I did not know that. You have no culture. No. It's weird. I mean, I know a ton about tantric of course. sex stuff. And I'm just like, I just know so much about like sex stuff in general, penises, vaginas, you name it. But I happen to not know this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this is like the one thing that you don't know. You know everything else about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know, what, I know what goes where, that's for sure. Yeah, you've heard. You've seen pictures. I've heard. I've heard. My cousin. You watch me. cuties. <laughs> Okay, so the Blaze got texts of Ballard talking about these tantric massages with one of his accusers and how this will make them connect. And then when he was asked about this by the Blaze, he first denied knowing anything about it. And then he said it was like Reiki or yoga and there's no massage involved and everyone kept their clothes on, which is how you think sex happens. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. So basically, the accusers paint this portrait of Ballard pressuring them into practicing this couple's ruse and then pressuring them into actually doing sex stuff as part of the ruse, but not kissing, though. They said he wouldn't kiss on the lips. That was against the rules. And then they said that he would bully them into silence. Again, he denies this. He says that the only physical contact he engaged in was like hand-holding, arms around the shoulders, things to make it look like they were really a couple. There's a lot of detail in the Blaze piece. We'll link to it in the show notes. Like he apparently asked the women to get Brazilian waxes before his trips because he said all sex tours do it. That's. Would you get a Brazilian wax to save the children, Jesse? To save the children, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, he denies this. He issued a statement saying that the allegations are tabloid driven. Quote, They are baseless inventions designed to destroy me and the movement we have built to end the trafficking and exploitation of vulnerable children. And the Blaze also notes that now several accusers are also suing him. Uh, Other outlets reported that the exact number of plaintiffs is five. They're currently anonymous, but they hired a lawyer who gave a statement to the Blaze. Quote, we had no intention of going after Tim legally until he chose to publicly deny any wrongdoing. He has threatened us, attacked us, and continues to lie and cause further trauma when we finally started to reach out to one another after being isolated and told to distrust one another we discovered the extent of tim's lies and realized how much he had manipulated used, and profited off of us and so many others the lawsuit also alleges that ballard would go to strip clubs in salt lake city and pay for lap dances wait wait wait, wait, wait. yes strip clubs in salt lake city in salt i know lake 
see. Yeah, you can only get the low alcohol. This is an SNL sketch <laughs> way to happen. Yeah. Uh, so he would pay for lap dances and as well as booze and pills. You know, you can't drink in the strip clubs in Seattle. That's illegal. But it sounds to me like you can drink at the strip clubs in Salt Lake City. Interesting. They're both puritical, puritanical cities, but just for different reasons. They worship different gods. And the lawsuit also claims that he took ketamine and talked about how he was going to become president and usher in the second coming of Jesus. And honestly, like I think everyone who takes ketamine yeah. has that experience. This is just normal ketamine shit. And the last thing about the lawsuit, so it mentions that the plaintiffs thought that the church was going to officially excommunicate him after they found out about this. The church hasn't commented on this, but excommunication is a huge, huge, huge deal in Mormonism. This is different from the like public disavowal, and it is a very private affair. So if the member who is excommunicated doesn't mention it, nobody will. So this isn't the sort of thing where you can like go to the church for official confirmation. But people with access to the official church roles are reporting not seeing his name on the roles anymore, which would indicate that he actually has been excommunicated. And our ex-Mormon furry correspondent, Trace, says that sexual impropriety is exactly the sort of thing that the church would excommunicate someone over. I think I'm more familiar with it in like a Catholic context. And in that one, it, it basically means you're like not a member of the Catholic church anymore. Is that is that what it means here? Yeah. So it means with Mormonism, it means that you're no longer considered baptized. So I have a, a we got a copy of an older handbook. It says a person who is excommunicated does not enjoy any of the blessings of church membership. He may not wear temple garments or pay tithes or offerings. He may attend public church meetings if his conduct is orderly. But his participation in such meetings is limited, the same as for disfellowship members. So you can basically, like, you can go to services, but you can't do much else. And it's a giant stain on your character within this community. I, I might have overstated. It looks like I just went to the Wikipedia page for um, Catholic excommunication. I guess it's not per- – I think there might be a way to, like, get back in the good grace. I might have made it sound more permanent than it is. That is true of Mormonism. I don't know about Catholics, but uh, there's a long, involved process to get reinstated in good standing. But still, like – uh, it's it's like a giant scarlet letter. This is a very bad thing to happen to someone in that particular faith. Okay, so earlier this month, another suit was filed against Ballard, this one by a couple that claims his inappropriate behavior contributed to their separation. So he yeah, like through the couple's ruse and all that shit. So he's in a heap of legal troubles now. Yeah. And Trace, our resident furry ex-Mormon, says that this saga really gets the, to the heart of this fundamental schism happening within the church right now. So the populist right, which sees Tim Ballard and to some extent Donald Trump as a hero oh, versus the institutionalists within the LDS leadership who just want respectability, stability, trust, sort of the Mitt Romney, the, the Mitt Romneys of the Mormon church. And so this is why the, the leadership took this extraordinary step of publicly denouncing Ballard. This is also likely a blow to Ballard's Senate ambitions. And Trace pointed out that while this sort of allegation wouldn't necessarily sink a populist hero, at least in this weird moment in time, like Lauren Barbert can give a man a handy at a children's theater and people will still pass the hat for her on Sunday service at Hooters. <laughs> the LDS is different. And because they explicitly devout Ballard, even people who distrust anything coming from the left are much less likely to support him now that the church is weighed in. All right. So this guy's in some very serious trouble. It's way past like the initial vague rumors and stuff because because the church itself was like, yep, no thanks. 
Yeah, his his best move now would be to pivot to being an actual child child trafficker. That might improve his reputation. Mm, yeah, he knows how it works already. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 fucked. Uh, thank you for that, Katie. That's quite a tale of uh, got a little bit of everything. Indeed. This has been Blocked and Reported. As always, we are produced with help from Tracy Woodgrains and Jessica, the 80s baby. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, don't fact check anything. Just tweet through it, especially if you're a journalist. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, when you go to the Grand Stay in Rapid City, South Dakota, tell them Katie sent you. <laughs>